Let's pray together. Gracious God, our heavenly Father, we thank you for the invitation that you have given each one of us today to be here, to meet in your house with your family, to celebrate the work that you are doing in lives, whether it's in Evelyn in our first service as a child or in the lives of Christopher and Adam as adults. God, we praise you for that work. We rejoice. We rejoice in their stories of faith that you have drawn them to yourself, that you've called them to repentance and belief, God. And we thank you for that, that that only happens through the work of your son, Jesus. So God, as we sing, as we Continue in worship now with prayer, with opening your word. God, we acknowledge today that we need you. We acknowledge today that we need your Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us and to quicken our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word today, God, because your word is true. It has everything we need to live out our faith, to walk the faith journey. So God, give us eyes to see the truth of your word today. We humbly ask for ears to hear the truth that's on its pages and then humble hearts before you that we might be able to live out this truth today and in the week ahead. God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello again. Awesome. Well, this weekend, our, uh, our great city, our great region is home of something pretty cool. It's the world's largest one-day celebration of classic car culture. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. The Woodward Dream Cruise. What you see when you go there is you find sports cars, you find classic cars, you'll see muscle cars, and all of these cool cars will roll up and down Woodward Avenue in front of tens of thousands of car enthusiasts. There's brands and models that are no longer made. There's bold and shiny paint jobs, and of course, there's the rumble of the power of the engine as it rips down the street. So there's the sights, there's the sounds, there's the power. And for most of us, we're familiar with those things. When I say something about the Woodward Dream Cruise, you can connect it with some of those things. But perhaps more than any other is the sound that a, that a classic car or a muscle car makes. And that's exactly what made my Uncle Rod's classic car a bit strange. You see, my Uncle Rod had a 1970 Dodge Challenger. Classic muscle car, had all the look and the feels of, of that classic that would rumble down Woodward Avenue. It was red, it was bright, looked sweet. But my uncle's muscle car was a little bit different. You see, in those years, Mopar used to put the legendary 426 Hemi under the hood, or you might have a 446 pack. Big, huge, fast engines, and under the hood of my uncle's car was something a little different. He actually lacked a little bit of muscle. He had a 
225 cubic inch slant six. You can go ahead and laugh. It's all right. Not exactly the power plant that you're used to when you see a muscle car roll down the strip. It's a little deceiving. You kind of have this misperception of what the car looks like and actually what it can do. A little different than what you were expecting. Well, church, this morning we are looking at a portion of God's words that's going to expose a similar kind of misperception going to turn what we think we see and find out what it is that we're really seeing. That's what we're going to be doing today as we continue our journey through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in a place called Corinth. We're going to see how God gives us an alternate view, changes the way that we view things. So let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and we're going to learn what the Apostle Paul has for us today. We're going to pick it up, and again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up at verse 18 today. You're going to find verse 18 on page 952 in our church Bibles. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what Paul writes. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning that I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, well, they demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified in a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul has just introduced us or perhaps exposed to us the upside-down wisdom that we find in our world. He makes it very clear that what appears to be wise, Paul says, no, 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 that's actually foolish. What appears to be foolish, Paul says, no, 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 that is wise. Now, as we've mentioned in each of the different weeks of our series, we are looking at different ways that our culture is divided or our culture finds fractures or cracks And today what we're doing is we're digging into one of the primary reasons that you and I see these cracks, these these fissures, these fractures. What we're looking at today sets up two completely different views of our world. Two different worldviews. 
So let's dig back into our text and look a little more deeply at verse 18 to see what it is that I mean. For the word of the cross is folly. (laughs) It's folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says something that you and I know to be true in this moment. Many people see the word of God as nonsense. They say all those Bible stories you grew up with, yeah, those are fairy tales. Many consider it pure folly. One of the most important and prominent science fiction writers of the last generation is named a guy by the name of Isaac Asimov. Here's what he once said. He said, properly read, the Bible is the most potent force for atheism ever conceived. You see, Asimov was a prominent humanist. He believed that wisdom and power came from the human experience. It was nurtured and developed within the context of the human mind, and it was all about the human. Here's what he once said of God. He said, I don't have the evidence to prove that God doesn't exist, but I so strongly suspect that He doesn't that I don't want to waste my time. Asimov saw God and his word as folly, as pure folly. Some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second. Why are you referencing a guy who wrote books many, many years ago, 500 books? Why would you reference him? Because I think he sets up for us what you and I see today in our world. The truth is many of our friends and our family may not speak it to us, but they think that. They think our faith is silliness. They think our faith is folly. They just don't have a platform to declare it like an author of so many books, of so prominent in the culture. And yet their lives match what they believe. Remember I talked about the, the different perspectives that we have, one side and another. The different perspectives would say, hey, uh, I don't believe, and so therefore my life looks completely different than your life. Here's what I mean. Take a look at the debauchery that people practice every single weekend. Go on their Facebook posts. Look at it. It's all there. Look at the humanistic thinking that people post on their social media feeds. It's all about you. Try harder. Do better. You can do it. They're pleasant, but they're lies. You see, this debauchery, this humanistic thinking shouldn't surprise us because these are the people who see the cross as folly. Church, that's exactly why the Apostle Paul wrote today's text, and that's exactly what he is addressing. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is something completely different. It is the power of God. You see, Paul establishes the cross of Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus accomplishes, defeating sin and defeating death upon that cross as the direct opposition to human wisdom. He says, human wisdom is over here. What you have with the cross is over here. They're different. 
dramatically different. You say, well, why is that? Because the cross is considered absolutely irrational when viewed through the lens of human wisdom. What you're saying is that a holy God would send his son to die. God dies. Yeah, that's what we're saying. And wait a second, if he did die, what you're saying is he dies for sinful people who are the very people that put him on the cross? That's what you're saying? It is. And it is only through the eyes of faith, through the cross, that it becomes the only way that you and I can see and understand the world around us. Only through the cross. Because it is through the cross that believers see and understand the way of God's love. It is only through the cross that you and I see the way of forgiveness. It is only through the cross that you and I see the way of restoration and redemption and freedom and life. It's only at the cross. And so it is only through the cross of Christ that God's wisdom is revealed and the manifestation of his power is on display for all to see. So church, this helps us kind of make our first way that we respond today. We're going to have two specific responses. And the first one is a confession. You and I are going to confess that the wise foolishness of our world, we're going to confess that as incorrect. We're going to confess the foolishness of the wisdom of our world. You see, Paul called the believers in Corinth to see that the worldly wisdom for what it really is. And the worldly wisdom is really a way to serve the self, to boost the self. I get more important and more significant and more important and more significant and I just continue to go up that ladder when I lean into the world's wisdom. Here's what I mean. Intellectual prestige. I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to get another one and I'm going to get another one and you're going to think more of me because I have all of those. Now let me just say this. I am not speaking poorly of education. I value it. I recommend it. I've done it. But here's what I'm saying. When that becomes the most important thing on your agenda, it's become an idol. Self-serving. Self-important. Let's move to the next one. How about cultural influence? That seems to be a popular thing in our culture today, doesn't it? I want to have influence. So I do all kinds of things on social media so I can actually become an influencer. What is that about? That is about me. That is about the self once again. And what happens when we get that intellectual prestige or that cultural influence? Then what we do is we leverage power. We leverage power. All of these things that we find in the world's wisdom are really about self-centered advancement. Self-centered advancement. And so what Paul does is he, he speaks directly to a group of believers in a place called Corinth. Because what he knew was 
Even though they were in Christ, these things were starting to take root in the hearts and the minds of his people. It was like Jesus plus all this other stuff. You need to know that that's pretty important too. Now, before we move on, it would be quick for us and it would be easy for us to sort of scoff and snicker at the Corinthians. Like, yeah, sure. You know, they, they did that. What about you? What about me? Has our heart and mind been drawn to self-serving pursuits? I want to give us a quick inventory. Right where you're sitting, you don't need to tell anybody or turn in a quiz, uh, your paper on a quiz or anything like that. But I do want us to take a heart and mind inventory over the course of the next few moments. Here's what I mean. When we wrestle with the idea that we have bought into this type of thinking, the wisdom of the world, let's take an inventory. Do we spend more time focusing on the intellectual pursuits of our world or are we spending more time focusing on the wisdom of God in his word? Second question, are we more concerned today about gaining influence or about gaining godly wisdom? What takes precedent for you? Third one, are we more intrigued by current events and politics than we are the cross of Jesus Christ? Church family, this is why Paul exhorts believers to confess the wisdom of the world as nothing more than foolishness. He spells it out and he says, confess it as foolishness. Now, if we are to have intellectual integrity this morning, if we are to confess that that is foolishness, and that the world's wisdom is folly, then we must also profess something as well. Something that we believe, something that is true, and something that is truly wise. So let's go back to our text. Pick it up at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 21. Here's what the apostle suggests. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what, was, uh, of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, and that's a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul exhorts believers not just to confess, but to profess that the foolish wisdom comes at the cross. That we are called to profess the wisdom that is found at the cross. I want us to look closely at verse 21. It said, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Put a stake in that. Put a pin in that. The world did not know God through wisdom. 
But it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So God in his amazing wisdom was pleased to use the folly of preaching to bring men, women, and children to a saving faith to those who believe. So that means God used the the folly of the spoken word in the life of Christopher and the life of Adam. It's amazing, really. Before we move on, I want to have a little pastoral moment with you here. Nobody, at least to my face, has said my preaching is folly. Some of you are thinking it, but you're not saying it. But the fact that God can use a sinner like me to profess truth, and God works in the lives of his people to bring action and to bring life change, the reality of that, the power of that, the wisdom that is captured in that is amazing. It is absolutely amazing that God does his work in that way. It is absolutely incredible that God has molded us and shaped us through the spoken word of others. Now let's continue on in verse 22. For Jews, well, they demand signs. And Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified. (laughs) Now we know the power that comes in the preaching. It is not me. It is not the guy who will preach next week or the guy who will preach a month from now. It is not us. It is the power of Christ and him crucified. That is where you find the power. That is where you find the wisdom. And that's why Paul says it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, (laughs) both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. I love the way Paul breaks it all down, very clear for all of us. God has made himself unknown through human wisdom. You will not find him in human wisdom. Instead, what he did is he made himself known through the tragic and beautiful death of his son on a cross. At the cross. You see, God determined to save people from eternal destruction for those who believe in him, the crucified Christ. So instead of using worldly wisdom, God destroyed the wisdom of the wise and instead he invites people to repent of our sin and believe in what took place on a cross 2,000 years ago. To place our faith in Jesus. Those who are called experience both the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is why the Apostle Paul can write the words of verse 25. He said, for the foolishness of God, well, that's wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes this way that God engages with us in this interaction. He explains it in a book that many of you have read called The Problem of Pain. Here's what Lewis writes. He says, he stoops to conquer. I love that imagery. God stoops to conquer. 
Even though, he continues, we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. Our lives would suggest that we prefer, we dabble in everything else except him. And yet he would have us. God would have us because there is nothing better for us to have. It's beautiful. Now throughout this morning, we've heard the apostle tell the Corinthians and all who would read this letter even many, many years later that the world's ways are foolish and God's ways are wise. How many of you have got that? Let's try that again. How many of you have got that today? Awesome. We've read it. You've heard it. We got it. The question is, how do we move from just getting it intellectually, understanding that truth, and then having it impact our lives? How does this truth mold and shape us as we walk about our week, as we live in faith? Here is the answer. It should draw you and me to the cross. We should be drawn to the cross of Christ. You see, far too often believers refer to the cross of Jesus as something that took place in their past. It's kind of like that thing. It's like, well, yeah, that's in my rearview mirror. I can see it back there, but it doesn't really have any bearing on my life today. Actually, it does. It has a bearing on your life every single day that you breathe. The cross of Christ matters to you in your past, to be sure. But it also matters for you in the present, and it also gives you hope for the future. That's the cross of Jesus. So I want to highlight a few verses that help us understand that. I don't want to just stand on the stage and say, yeah, the cross of Jesus, that was something that you understood when you came to faith, and it matters today. Let me give you some real practical ways that it matters both in your past, in the present, and in the future, and I'm going to take you to God's Word to do that. Acts chapter 2. It tells us that the cross was God's plan Acts 2.23. It says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. It's God's plan and his foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That was God's plan. That's in the past. Let's move to the present. Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. When we talk about baptism and being raised to life, that's the image that we're celebrating. Having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It gives us new life. But it doesn't just give us new life, we're also set free. Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In Christ, we've been set free. 
That's how we live our day-to-day experience. That's why the gospel matters. That's why the cross matters today. Now let's talk about the future. Romans 6 also. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So it was this plan from the past. It gives us new life and sets us free in the presence and the gospel, the cross of Christ, gives us hope for our future. You see, when you and I come to the cross, we are reminded that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished all of those things for all who believe. So to some, the transforming power of the cross is foolish. But to all who are in Christ, to all of us who are in Christ, nothing short of God's wisdom and power are found in the message of the cross. You see, the cross is the way of God's love. The cross is the way of God's forgiveness. The cross is the way of God's grace to you. The cross is the way of life. Have you come to experience the foolishness of the cross? Is that your story? Perhaps today, Perhaps this moment is the moment where you surrender your pursuit of worldly wisdom and run and rush to the cross of Christ to experience true wisdom. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.